When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Injured at work in a motor vehicle accident or had a fall in a public space? Speak to Your Claim Lawyers, a no-win, no-fee, personal injury claims law firm that specialises in maximising compensation claims for injured people. Call 1-800-YOUR-CLAIM or yourclaimlawyers.com.au. Welcome to Stumps. Yes, welcome to Stumps. Great to have your company on this Saturday evening. Darren Parkin here talking all things cricket for Kookaburra Cricket. If it ain't a cooker, it ain't cricket. Hashtag Team Kookaburra. We've got live test match action going on as Australia looks to build a sizable lead against... uh, Pakistan, uh, obviously Pakistan, uh, very disappointing with the bat on day two. They kicked on a little bit in early day three, but Australia opting not to enforce the follow-on. We'll have a little bit of a chat about that. We'll cover the live matches going on overseas too, with England playing India. England, again, somewhat competitive with the bat at times, but it's been a a pretty tough series for them, and we'll have a chat about it. There's obviously been announcements over next summer's uh, Ashes series. Speaking of England, uh, we'll also uh, have a little bit of a chat about the Big Bash, which gets underway in the middle stages of this week. Merv Hughes on commentary duties in Queensland for this particular test match at the moment. We do have with us Tom Morris from Fox Sports. And Tom, nice to have you here. Thank you, Darren. Thanks for having me. I'm not quite Merv Hughes, but I'll do my best. <laughs> yeah, you certainly uh, you definitely fit in the chair a little bit better. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's reasonable to suggest. But uh, if you'd like to give us a call, one three hundred twenty three fifty five forty eight. That's one three hundred twenty three fifty five forty eight. It's been a, a pretty dominant display by Australia, and admittedly disappointing by the uh, by the visitors. Yeah, Pakistan. They're not quite uh, the mm. team that they were maybe even six months ago when they drew. Then they drew two all in Pakistan. In, sorry, in England. I'm just amazed at uh, at how brittle their batting was mm. yesterday. Uh, we, we saw it in New Zealand on green decks how they struggled, but I thought on this pitch, which admittedly isn't as green as the New Zealand pitches, they'd be able to rally a little bit. But they just struggled. Aside from the keeper, of course, mm. that that they really didn't show any backbone at all. It doesn't help when your two best players, um, Khan and the skipper Mizbal Huck, get out early. But uh, they were really brittle, and it, and it doesn't bode well for the rest of the series. For them, and I think Australia were good, but I don't think Australia were exceptional by any means. No, that's right. I mean, it was three wickets each to Bird, Hazelwood, and Stark. Uh, as it stands, Australia were 287 runs ahead on first innings and opted not to enforce the follow on. They're two for 96 in the second innings, Smith 43, Kawaja 31. So the lead 383. Would you be thinking a declaration giving them, what, an hour and a half tonight or thereabouts? Yeah, I think so. And I think the way the Australians are batting at the moment demonstrates that they probably want to declare mm. um, as it starts to get dark and they can have a crack at them uh, while the sun is setting. That's certainly the way Steve Smith's looking to bat 43 or 50 balls. And I think that's probably what they'll try to do. They'll put Pakistan under the pump the same way they did yesterday um, by making them bat at night and we saw with Nathan Lyon and Jackson Bird batting that 11 overs mm. it actually meant the ball was still new after dinner which allowed the Australians to dominate uh, with a new pink ball as the sun was setting and we all know that's the best time to bowl 
with the pink ball and, and the hardest time to bat. Smith going at almost a runner ball. Kawaja a little bit slower than that. So Smith's 45 or 51. Kawaja 31 or 64. Mohamed Amir picked up the wicket of Dave Warner. He got four in the first innings. He's bowled quite well. He had that little injury scare on the first day with the, the misfield, uh, mm. and which I think was probably a disguise of the misfield. And he felt <laughs> that if he, if he injured his knee, it probably didn't look quite as bad. But... Um, <laughs> He went out there and, and bowled reasonably well. He's, a, I think, he's their best player. I think a lot has been made of Wahad Riaz, his left armers as well. I think Rahat struggled um, this Test match, and I, I think he's probably quite clearly their third best seamer. But Amir at his best is a world class bowler. I mean, we, we, he's missed a big chunk of his career, obviously, for the the reasons that have been well publicised mm. uh, back in England a few years ago. But he's quality, and I think he can trouble any batsman. He just needs support at the other end. And if Yasir Shah's not bowling at the other end, they've really struggled for that. And I think the Australian batsmen have made the most of that. Yeah, I think they definitely have. Mm. Uh, we've seen Pete Hanskin obviously rejuvenate the uh, Australian lineup somewhat. He'll be in next, but made that 100 in the first innings, and, and he and Renshaw have certainly looked at home. Yeah, how good, how beautiful yeah. is Peter Hanscom's innings, really. He was mm, patient early yeah. on, and they speak about, I mean, a lot of people have spoken about his technique, but the mm-hmm. bottom line is it works for him. He plays a ball under his eyes, he plays straight, uh, and he's successful. He's made a lot of recent runs. That double ton in Sydney in the Shield game against a bowling attack of Bollinger, Lyon, O'Keefe, mm-hmm. um, these are uh, Mitchell Stark in the first innings, of course. And then, of course, um, he's made runs in Adelaide. He made that half-century, batted beautifully, I thought. Got out to Kyle Abbott when the, when, when the lights were on. And then he's made this 100 in Brisbane. So he's doing it all over the country, and he's 25 years old. They've picked him on form, and, and it's paying, paying dividends. I heard someone suggest that the way he plays spin, he should tour India until he's <laughs> 70, the way, the way it is. <laughs> He'll definitely player. go on the next tour, for sure. So. Yeah, absolutely. In that middle-order spot, it's mm. really good to have a test-match team where you can have a very mm. solid 3-4-5. That's, that's the grunt area, really. Um, and Kawaja at three, although he got out cheaply in the first innings, is in terrific form. He has been for 12 to 18 months now in the longest format. Smith, obviously, is a star. And Hanscom at five just solidifies that middle order. I, I think from what I've seen um, and from what people have said, Greg Shippard said it a couple of years ago, Cameron White said mm-hmm. it recently, that Hanscom is the best player of spin in the country. And he just runs at the bowler and then decides what he's going to do when he gets down there. He puts mm. uh, this, he premeditates at 100%, but he managed to get away with it. He rarely gets beaten. And uh, I, I can't wait to see how he counters these Indian spinners. He hasn't played there before. He no. went there with Australia A yeah. a couple of years ago, and he did quite well. He made a 90. So um, that's going to be a big test for all the Australian batsmen, but I think Hanscom's probably equipped to deal with it better than many. Yeah, and of course, the other side of the equation is the Australian spinners' capabilities of taking wickets in India, which is going to be difficult given how well they play it. We know what they're going to prepare. We've seen Ashwin and Jadeja mm-hmm. take a truckload of wickets in this series against England. So that'll be tough, obviously. I guess on the other side of the coin from Hanscom is Nick Maddinson, who made a duck on debut against at Africa and then was dropped on zero and then dismissed for one so that's obviously yeah. not ideal first up he might get another chance today depending on what happens but um, yeah he'll uh, you'd think he might struggle yeah well especially with Sean Marsh fit potentially yeah. for Boxing Day test it would have been better for Maddinson to get a first ball duck in the in the first innings here in Brisbane yeah. the fact that he got dropped and, and scratched yeah. around a little bit actually worked against him as well um, it's a real shame because he mm. is talented but I mean if you if you pick players on form then they're going to make runs generally like a Hanscom mm-hmm. has and, mm-hmm. and uh, what other players have in the past if you just have a gut feel, then you really leave yourself open. That's what happened. That's what's happened with Madison. He got a good ball from Rabada. Yeah. Um, and in the first innings, he probably played a loose shot here, but uh, he might not get another chance. And if he does, it's going to be a fleeting one. So the, his spot's definitely on the line. A lot of people looked at it and felt that if Australia won the test in Hobart, Ferguson wouldn't have been mm. dropped. The fact that they won the test where Madison made a duck, mm. he survived. And it might have been as simple as that, that, that Ferguson was unlucky to miss out in a test match where Australia were beaten so badly, whereas Madison missed out in a win. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's probably a fair reason, but also there is seven 
seven years difference or eight years difference between them as well. And I think this push for youth Mm. really hurt Ferguson. And he's struggled in the Shield game since. He hasn't made any runs. Maddinson, the fact he's young, he's talented. Many people actually believe he's one of the most talented players in Australia. He has played limited overs cricket for Australia as well. Um, Probably That's probably what got him in this sort of X-factor gut feel. But at number six, especially in India, you probably need more of a solid player than an X-factor player, I think, just to to shore up the middle order and bat with the tail. Smith is swinging hard. He's Mm. 45, not out off uh, Yassir Shah at the moment. Usman Khawaja at the other end on 32. Two for 99. Australia a lead of 3-8-6. We'll get to a break. Tom Morris is with me, Darren Park, and John Townsend wrapping the test match at the Gabba after this. Ray Bright in about 15 minutes for part of our VB Memorable Moments, of course, commemorating the 10 special edition VB cans that they've got at the moment uh, with 10 memorable moments in cricket. We'll take a look at the second of the tied test matches from 1986, a famous test match between Australia and India, famous for so many reasons. We'll have a look at that. Also, Dave Hussey a little bit later on in the program and Ian Bell, former England superstar, now Perth Scorchers batsman. Plenty more to come. Full pitch and bang! Bang, bang, bang! It's gone! You're listening to Stumps. Listening to Stumps. Yes, you are. Welcome back to Stumps. Great to have your company here. And it's Australia 2 for 104. Steve Smith, one run away from a half century, and he's now uh, worked that through the offside for a boundary. So he moves to 53, not out. Usman Khawaja is on 33. So Smith following up his first innings ton with a, a 50. And he had that minor, I think he had two actually, that both reviews have been used on Steve Smith in this innings. One for caught behind, which was optimistic, and one for LBW, which was very, very close. Yeah, and we saw he got dropped three times in yeah. the first innings as well. The keeper, mm. well not dropped three times, actually the keeper dropped him early, then Amir dropped him on 129, which only cost him one run, but then they didn't appeal yeah, for that one, yeah. which was interesting. So he's been at the centre of that, not, a, not as much of a controversy, but at the centre of the umpires and the, and the third umpires Um sort of chatter at the moment because he's uh, he, he lives dangerously sometimes Smith he can push outside off stump and we see here 53 or 59 balls he's playing aggressive cricket again which is good to see I always find it interesting the way luck goes in cricket I mean mm-hmm. in New Zealand when he was uh, or that New Zealand one day where he was trapped LBW on 14 given not out New Zealand didn't review had they have reviewed he would have mm-hmm. been out this one here he's caught behind they don't appeal he's not out then you look at Callum Ferguson in that shield game against New South Wales I don't know if you saw the catch Nathan Lyon took yeah, to get right. him out the absolute yeah. blinder and that <laughs> I guess the difference when you're uh, when you're in form, those sorts of things happen. You, you get given not out. When you're out of form, guys take screamers. They hit the stumps from three quarters of the way to the boundary. It's funny yeah. how it all works. It's so. amazing the way it works. Yeah. Oh, and and it, it it sort of rolls in. It rolls along uh, throughout yeah. your career. It's like a continuum. So occasionally, um, especially early on in your career, when things are going your way, I reckon a lot of players. It, it, come off, it comes off and I think especially batsmen mm. who hit the ball hard yeah. things come off like Gilchrist used to be dropped all the time well it's because he He'd hit it so hard it hands, yeah. you know, whereas batsmen that are potentially a little bit more cautious probably don't get that luck but certainly the umpiring calls that, that is just pot luck isn't it the, yeah, DRS, right. the DRS makes it harder now to what makes it harder to get a howler if you're a batsman, um, but if you're a fielding team, you don't appeal like what happened against New, uh, New Zealand, then you can be uh, you can really be hurt. There are some flaws in the review system. Just before mm. we get to John Townsend, which is for mine, it's it's not it's there to eradicate the howlers, but it, it has to be tactical as well. For example, Pakistan have used both their reviews mm. on Steve Smith, which means if they get a howler, they can't do anything about mm. it. So to me, that's a flaw in the system where you're trying to eradicate howlers, but at the moment, if Pakistan cop one, there's nothing they can do about yeah, it. Yeah, completely so. agree with you. I, I just 
just reckon that it, mm. they should have one per 80 overs and that way they only review when they know for certain that it's out or not yep. out from a batting perspective. At the moment, they're doing it tactically in the 79th over. They're reviewing no matter what just in case. Yeah. I think that's waste waste time of the game and it's not what it's designed for. And the umpire's call ones, you should keep those because it's not yep. a shocking review. It's close. Like the one with Steve Smith that they reviewed was hitting the stumps, mm. just. So I don't think you should lose that review because mm. it was fair, fair enough to ask the question. Smith, 53. Kawaja, now 35. Uh, 34, Steve Smith tried to get back for two, but Kawaja wasn't interested. So 34, not out. Kawaja, two for 109. Australia lead of 396. John Townsend covers the game for the Western Australian and travels all around the land, keeping an eye on this test match. John, thanks for your time. No worries. Yes, interesting discussion about the DRS, isn't it? It's uh, yeah. It provides a quota on justice. And, <laughs> yeah, it uh, does. Which means that you don't get justice sometimes. But as you said, I mean, it is absolutely tactical now that, you know, the 50-50s will be called. If, you know, late in the innings when you know that you're going to have them replaced at 80, well, of course you're going to go. And sometimes the records look a bit better for the umpires than, mm. than they should do, mm. perhaps, because teams review when they know that there's absolutely no hope. But, you know, like if a you know, bloke's absolutely salmon, mm. um, but you're down to your ninth player or whatever, you review it anyway in the hope that it might be a no ball or whatever. So that makes the umpires look a bit better because they've been reviewed and proved correct. Whereas yeah. there's plenty of times when it's only done for tactical reasons, as you said. Yeah, obviously there was that famous incident in England where Ashton Agar had broad caught at first slip and Alim Dar gave it not out, that, that big outside edge, and Australia had used their reviews and couldn't do anything about it. So to me, that's a flaw in the system where everybody on earth knows that that's a bad decision, but because of the way the review system is set up, there is nothing that the team can do about it. Yeah, it was interesting. Some years ago, they had it in the in the one day domestic one day comp where the third umpire yeah. could mm. could get involved and overrule or at least inform the you know the on field umpires. But then you saw the situation where play you know the body language of the players would try and bring on the review. You know, like a, a batsman would know he'd nick one, he's been given out. He'd walk a couple of steps, he'd stop, he'd have a look at the at the umpire, then he'd, he'd do it again and he'd mm. put his hands out. So he's he's trying not to commit dissent, but he's also Trying to make it as obvious as possible that he's, you know, that he's, uh, he's, he hasn't nicked it or he has nicked it, whatever the case may be, and that he wants a decision in his favour. So there's there's no way of control, you know, of of having it that it is absolutely perfect. But the problem is that you're still getting decisions that are that are erroneous, I guess, and that's what they're trying to remove from the game. Maybe maybe the best way to go is just to is to tighten it up so that there's line decisions. So again, like just like the runouts mm. and stumpings, maybe it's it's LBs on pitching inside or outside the line, and whether it's a nick or not, because you can tell with pretty much certainty whether they've nicked it. They, you know, there's a two or five percent uh, chance that they won't pick up nicks, but that's a pretty, you know the the um, hotspot and the snicko together are pretty accurate, and then maybe the line thing on where the ball lands and the rest of it, leave it as is, and and, and maybe do away with the quota. Mm. So if you know that you can only do it on those things, you're not going to review if it's on height or if it's on... Uh, uh, if you're only going to review it on nicked on the pad or nicked behind, you, you don't need a quota because it's it's trying to clarify the, uh, you know, the, the errors. John, we've seen India have just adopted the DRS system now as well for the first time, which is, means it's sort of a global approach, this DRS, which is, I guess, good for cricket. Do you think, from your perspective, that it, has, it does make the game more interesting if you take out what's right and wrong? And we've seen in tennis that the, uh, their system actually sort of brings the crowd into the game. What, what are your thoughts on cricket? Do you think it actually makes it more interesting for the fans and people watching? Well, I mean, the umpires say and the authorities say that it's improved decision-making, and I, and I guess there is that, that element. I'd... I'd 
I mean, I don't like all elements of it. Um, I tell you what, what it is going to do in India in February when Australia go there. How much pressure there's going to be on the non-striker that you're going to have re- constant mm. reviews. You know, Jadeja and Ashwin, you presume, are going to be bowling a lot. They're going to be playing on on pretty dry wick, uh, dry decks that are spitting and turning. So there's going to be a lot of appeals and a lot of decisions that the non-striker is going to have to have a contribution towards. So that's going to be a real challenge for, for the Australian batsmen in particular. Look, I, d- I don't think you can have test cricket where some teams have it and some teams don't. Yep. See, it's, it's like the laws. I yep. mean, the laws have to apply to everyone equally. And if you're going to do it, do it. If you're not going to do it, well, don't do it. But make it make it uh, fair across the board. Absolutely agree. I mean, I always thought in tennis you could be ranked number five in the world. You're playing on centre court. You've got all of the technology. But if you rank 350 mm-hmm. and you're playing it on show court 35, then <laughs> you don't have the technology at your disposal. And to me, yeah, it has to be a universal system across the board. Just on the declaration factor, uh, Australia seemed to be a little bit spooked, I guess, by a couple of things that have happened to them in the past that are unlikely to happen to them now. Obviously, that test match against, I think one was against Pakistan in the mid-90s when they they uh, enforced the follow-on and got uh, and got overhauled. I think that Pakistan made 500 odd batting second in that India Test match where Dravid and, and Laxman went berserk. So they've opted to bat again with a 287 run lead. So much time left. Did that, did that surprise you? Would you have sent them uh, back no, in? No, absolutely not. I think again the you know the pink yeah. ball games under lights are so, are so strategic, and I think that was primarily designed the fact that they'll get a new ball or well, a mm. ball about. Uh, I don't know, maybe 25 or 30 overs old when the lights come on. There's, I mean, I'm sure that they are thinking that we can, we can get through that, we can build a bit of a platform and get through and then set up a massive score and maybe bat for another day and then have a bowl on day uh, four leading into the lights perhaps. So impossible for us to lose because we'll be 600 yep. ahead and then get the new ball absolutely at the at the right time. If, if, we, can, if we can bat for six hours... We'll get the we'll get the second well the new ball in the second innings at the prime time and we might be able to rip through them. So I'm sure that's a fundamental part of of Steve Smith's thinking. We've certainly seen it in Shield cricket because there's been significantly more night cricket played in, in at Shield level and Test level. But declarations are often about time rather than runs or or overs bowl because you want to bowl you want one you want to avoid batting against a newish ball under lights and you want to bowl with a newish ball under lights. So uh, tact, uh, you know, tactics come into it fundamentally when when you're decla- uh, offering declarations. John, it looks as if uh, I'm not sure whether Steve Smith's batting this way just because he likes to be aggressive, but it looks as if they're actually batting to potentially declare tonight. What would you think of well, that? Well, again, if they, if they're thinking, you know, they're, they're 280 up plus, so they look to get maybe 150, so 400 ahead. But that may well be the thinking again. Mm. That maybe not wait till tomorrow, but bowl tonight. So bowl at uh, seven o'clock, say. And if you can get three wickets tonight, well, it's effectively game over. So maybe that is their thinking. You know, maybe they've come at, uh, 24 hours ahead of where I thought they might have done. Um, I, th- I think he's growing into the job. I think the, the disaster in Hobart this year was the making of Smith. And he, he had a very uh, passionate press conference mm. after that game where he made it very clear that enough was enough and that he was now going to put the, you know, put the stake in the ground and we're not going worse than this. And I think that, that that has been the turning point for his captaincy. And I think he's become more aggressive as a captain. And he's leading from the front as well. Absolutely he is. John, thank you very much for your time, as always. Pleasure. John Townsend joining us there. Australia's lead is essentially 400. The record run chase at the Gabba is 236. So that obviously puts that in reasonable perspective. Uh, we're going to get to a break. This is Stumps. Stumps.
he's got the biggest one tonight on the roof. Full pitch and bang, 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 bang. It's gone. Welcome to Stumps. Yes, welcome back to Stumps. Great to have your company wherever you may be listening to us or joining us on the program at this point in time. Big appeal for LBW from Yashir Shah. Pitched outside leg stump, I think. Kawaja 38, not out. Smith 58, not out. And it has been given not out. So we are celebrating the VB hard-earned moments. Victoria Bitter celebrates the greatest moments in cricket history with 10 limited edition cans this summer. And what it does is it commemorates moments. Last week we caught up with uh, Justin Langer about Australia's five-test Ashes whitewash in 2006-07 on the back of the 05 series. We also uh, heard a little bit around the Invincibles tour of 1948 as well. But, of course, there are two famous tied test matches, one going all the way back to 1960-61 when Australia and the West Indies locked horns in a famous series, uh, Tom. And in a moment we'll have a chat about the other. But first of all, that was obviously uh, a test match that really reignited passion in the game. Yeah, the West Indies came out to Australia and, and, and the history books say that the 1950s were probably the blandest decade for test cricket. There was a lot of draws, a lot of defensive batting and the interest started mm. started to wane in many respects. But then the West Indies came out and the whole of Australia just got around an amazing test series. And in the end, that test at the Gabba, which was a tie, um, was, a, was a thrilling finish. And it's amazing that that was 1960-61 um, and then, and before then, there was what eighty odd years of mm, Test cricket mm. without a tie. So it was a result that had never been before, and it probably just um, it encapsulated the Australian public. They had uh, Worrell as West Indies captain, Benno was a much loved Australian captain, and both teams were really just appreciated and much loved in Australian culture. And the other point as well is the the West Indian team; they're all full of coloured and, and, and black mm-hmm, players. Mm-hmm. And, Although they had been to Australia before, never had they been as adored and loved in Australia as they were in this series, which was an absolutely thrilling uh, group of test matches. Yeah, I think they got a ticket tape parade mm. uh, down the other uh, main street of Melbourne uh, at the conclusion Unheard of that of. series, and they yeah. lost too. So, <laughs> and a visiting team who got beaten. And, and you're right, there was that. There were a lot of five test series that were one mm. nils, where you'd have one result, and then the rest of the series would be a grind, and teams would make take two days to make 350, 400 mm. runs, and it became a bit of a battle. But the West Indies, with that obviously Calypso flavour. So Frank Worrell, you had I think Weeks and yeah, Wes Hall, Wes Hall a big fast bowler. Yeah. Charlie Griffiths might have yeah. been the other one of those. Valent- Al Valentine, yeah, so, and they had a lot of good players. And of course, the other of those tied Test matches was in 1986 between Australia and India. So the Aussies involved in uh, both of those Test matches, and this had a, a thrilling conclusion, a, a remarkable end, and it was a rapid fire LBW off the uh, off the final ball of that uh, particular innings. Greg Matthews picking up five wickets, and it was uh, Ravi Shastri who was at the non-strikers end trying to get uh, India home. And it was, for anyone who hasn't seen this on YouTube, it was a lightning LBW decision where the other finger sort of just shot up. And here's what Ravi Shastri uh, thought of it from the non-strikers end. I put my hand up there, not knowing what's happened at the back. The celebrations have started. Turn back. Ooh, his hand has already gone up and come down. I said, what happened there? He said, no, no, he's out. I said, when did you give him out? I, I couldn't see it. By the time I turned around, he was, everyone was walking off the park. And you're still convinced to this day that it was an inside edge? Oh, absolutely. So there he is, uh, Ravi Shastri. And yeah, I mean, it, it was so quick. I don't know whether the umpire in the moment sort of panicked a little bit mm. and, and just stuck the finger up in, in reaction to it. But um, we talk about spinners and having an impact in India. Greg Matthews and uh, and Ray Bright took five wickets each in that innings. Yeah, amazing. And it's also incredible that Kapil Dev 
never went wicketless in a series except for that one. So mm-hmm. it was just spinners galore. And that umpiring decision you talk yeah. about, if you look at the footage, it is the definition of a trigger. I reckon the ball had hardly hit the batsman's pads when he actually gave him out. Amazing. I'm just inter- interested to know, um, and there's been a lot written about that Madras test and, and the tie, whether, whether the players understood the significance of it at the time. Obviously, it was off-Broadway. It wasn't um, televised around the world like they are now. And whether they actually understood the significance of playing in a tied test, especially someone like Dean Jones, who, of course, made 210. And that's been in the news a little bit recently as well, with mm. Greg, Greg yeah. Matthews actually saying that yeah. it wasn't the innings that everyone thought it would be. It was a flat pitch and so on. But I think 210 is 210, especially when it's 150 degrees. Yeah, that's right. And, and look, he, I think he was hospitalised afterwards <laughs> and, and on a drip for a long period of time. But uh, India, I remember, were chasing 347 in the, the final innings of that match. So it would have been almost records for, for run chasers in, in those conditions. Yeah, it's a flat pitch, but it's amazing. You can have a team make 500-odd and, and the other team in the last day chasing the best part of 350. It's a, a classic test match in that sense. Yeah, and I would have loved to actually be there and watch it because yeah. the spinners from both ends, the overs would have been uh, pushed through quite quickly. And the batsman would have been under the pump the whole time. So the fact that Dean Jones made that 210 and obviously Indian batsman made runs as well to get through um, is quite an amazing effort. I, the best thing about that is, and as happened a couple of times before, mm. we're talking off air about mm-hmm. a West Indies game um, a couple of years ago, but four results possible with one ball yeah, left. That yeah. is unbelievable. Anything could happen. So the fact that the, the game was a tie... Um, so late in day five it was, uh, it was great for Test cricket I'd love to see it again But you can't really manufacture that Can you? No you can't uh, Celebrating uh, VB's hardest earned moments Victoria Bitter For a hard earned thirst And, and yeah it's, it's I think Test match cricket Can only provide that Limited overs cricket Obviously you have your thrilling finishes You talk about the Bevan match And things like that But but Test matches can have that You know that enthralling arm wrestle That, that, that basically goes all day And and we've, we've seen so many instances Where you can have draws Draws that are, <laughs> that are exciting That the game a few years ago Peter Siddle bowled about 25 overs yep. in a row against South Africa and the test match one of my favourite test matches at Old Trafford in the 05 Ashes when Ponting batted the last day mm. and Australia made 9 for 370 odd to, uh, to defend that test so you can have some really exciting draws Yeah I think that's what people probably um, who aren't passionate about test cricket don't understand that yeah. the fact that you can have these three results and you have a t- team pushing hard for a win, mm. another team defending like that one you speak about, Siddle, um, Bolin de Fafdu Plessis at the end of the day. And that was de Plessis, was that his debut? Or was it? it was, yeah, so, he made a ton. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and the fact that he can bat for that long mm. is an amazing effort. Uh, these t- the 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 great thing about Test cricket is that you have these Test matches mm-hmm. that can go either way so late and they can swing and turn. But then you've got one team pushing so hard, the other team just trying to be a rock solid. A lot of the time, the best teams can do all three. Mm-hmm. And we've seen that Australian team in 05, Ricky Ponting batted all day and um, and he thought they'd lost, but then they, they held on towards the end, which is terrific. Ray Bright, a former Australian spinner, took five wickets in the second innings of that famous tied Test match in 1986. And Ray, thanks very much for your time. Great to be here. How's the the feeling? I mean, we as a cricketer, you obviously know you're going to play in quite a lot of draws. You, you know you're going to get beaten from time to time, but I don't think you ever sit down and think you're going to play in a tied Test match. No, well, there's only been two in the history of uh, of Test cricket. Of course, the famous one uh, mm. in sixty sixty one, which uh, continues to get a massive amount of publicity, but uh, it's almost a forgotten tied Test way back in eighty six at uh, at Madras. And one of the big tragedies of that was. Uh, there's not a uh, a lot of highlights of the game. I think there's about an hour of scratchy highlights from that particular game. But, uh, you know, nowadays that would have been beamed around the world and uh, people would have seen what an enthralling and, and tense match it actually was for the for the most of the five days. Ray, Tom Morris here. You you obviously played in that test and, and did very well and you said there's not a, not a lot of highlights going around. So can you give us a brief summation of how the test ebbed and flowed throughout the first three or four days before that thrilling conclusion? 
Yeah, well, certainly. We, we won the toss and battered, as, as you would expect, and uh, we batted into the third day. I think we had three Centurions, uh, and I think we got about, uh, I think we made about 500. I think Capital Dev uh, decided not to bowl too much during that particular match. <laughs> not much grass on the wicket, a little bit hot. So, uh, But we did come out in the field uh, pretty well, and uh, we declared, I think, early on the third day. And, uh, and then, uh, obviously, uh, India's turned to bat. We only lost... Well, seven wickets, was it, I think, first inning? Yeah. yeah. And, and five second innings. So we actually only lost 12 for the match. And, um, you know, I have heard a bit of complaining from the Indian camp that uh, that the last uh, decision wasn't quite out. But uh, they forget that uh, we had, they took 12 wickets and we took about 28 with all the things we got given <laughs> out over their course. Uh, in those days, uh, no neutral umpires and uh, a little bit of bias, maybe. But a fantastic match. And, of course... Uh, you know, India did very well, I think, to get that many runs on the last day, chasing well over uh, 300. So uh, a fantastic natural round, of course. Mo Matthews getting five in each innings, uh, which was uh, a fantastic achievement all round. What do you think happened at the end there? Because as you say, it's it's legendary that, that in that period of time it was nearly impossible for Australians to get LBWs on the subcontinent. But that last ball was, was rapid fire. It was given out almost before it hit the pad. Well, it was, you know, and in some ways it was probably a fitting result. As I said, you know, we probably outplayed India for mm. most of the match, which which can happen if you, if you bat well first innings over in the subcontinent. It tends to make life a lot easier, um, you know, and I think England in, in the first test of this series had a chance to, to beat India, you know, by batting well first innings, but they didn't quite uh, capitalise. They probably set them a very, very difficult target on the last day, so... But, uh, look, that last decision, you know, a little bit of doubt. Maybe I was a little bit delirious at uh, <laughs> how to cover. So I didn't have too much uh, too much idea whether it was out or not out. But, uh, you know, a fitting result for, for a very tense match. One of the most famous innings of all time, and especially that in, in that series and, and in the 1980s, was Dean Jones' 210. And Greg Matthews spoke about it recently <laughs> and was, I guess, relatively critical of of the adulation he received post that inning, saying it was quite a flat deck and you know maybe it wasn't as hard as what he made out. What what what's your memories of, of his knock? And I guess whose camp oh. whose camp do you sit in? Oh look, I, I don't sit in either camp really. <laughs> you know, fantastic knock, no doubt about that. I also saw uh, Booney play well. I saw Dino play well. I saw Capital Dev play very well. He got a hundred, even though he was out plumbed to Steve War first ball. But uh, <laughs> we won't go. We won't go into that. If he hadn't have uh, be, if he had have been given out, maybe it wouldn't have been a tie. Hmm. Uh, but Dino Doc was was very good. No doubt, I batted for a while. I batted with him for a while, uh, and I was ill myself. So, but um, you know, the good thing about it was one of those nights, or he had to go into the hospital on a drip, and we didn't put up with him telling us what a great knock it actually was. So that was a, a bonus and a half. But um, look, I, I think it was one of the better efforts of in, human endurance. Obviously, no doubt about that. He was ill. Um, we were all ill for most of the game, you know, uh, conditions now overseas in India and the subcontinent are, are terrific. You know, the, the hotels they stay at are first class, um, you know, the umpiring's neutral uh, and everything's looked after very well for the players. So it was certainly tough um, in 86 and it was probably worse on someone like Bill Laurie's tour way back in 69. You know, you feel sorry for what they went through, we were probably better off in 86, but uh, a great knock and, um, you know, I think there's probably just a little bit of 
tension between the two, to say the least, maybe. <laughs> Can you paint a, a picture? I mean, I think I've heard a lot of people say Alan Border spoke. I mean, obviously, we know the conditions are going to be hot and extremely humid, but I'd be correct in saying that there was either an open sewerage main or a sewerage drain or something behind the stadium, which obviously made conditions a little bit more uncomfortable given, obviously, the odours that would be generated through the heat. Well, yeah, I think it's called the Buckingham uh, Canal, which runs yeah. out the back. It's, uh, I'm not quite sure why they call it canal, because I'm not sure it actually flows. And, uh, <laughs> with, with no wind around, or if it did blow, it seemed to be blowing permanently over the, uh, over mm. the Madras cricket ground. And uh, it didn't make things very pleasant. You know, it was obviously up around 40 degrees every day. It's very high humidity. And, and they talk about it as being uh, a test match played in uh, as trying conditions uh, as you could possibly imagine. So it's... With a uh, with a very bad stench coming from the canal, it didn't make uh, life very pleasant, you know. And I can remember our warm ups on the ground used to be just basically walking on the ground, and that was as far as uh, <laughs> we had to worry about it. You know, there was no uh, no use of excess energy strolling on the ground at all. So, uh, but it did make life very tough. And I just hope for the boys that go to uh, well, it's Chennai now that they have cleaned that canal up because it, it doesn't make life all that pleasant over there playing. And Ray, you were off the field ill yourself as uh, as well, and Alan Border wasn't too pleased about that. Can you tell us what he said to you, or what what you'd uh, heard that he said to you? Well, virtually, I, I, I thought I'd have a quiet night on the first night of the match, and instead of having a few beers with the usual uh, drinkers, Boone, Marsh, Reed, Border, <laughs> I thought I'd have an early night because I might have to do some bowling next day. So, why would have a pizza in India way back in 1986? <laughs> I don't really know. On room service, well, I thought all the the days were going to be over about three hours later. So I was crook. You know, uh, unfortunately, um, we batted first day. Um, otherwise, I wouldn't have known. Um, wouldn't have been able to get on the park, probably. But, but And I was still crook most of the game. I hardly ate for the whole game. And I was pretty weakened. And obviously, in the conditions, it wasn't all that good. But uh, I, during the last day, I just couldn't think straight. I was trying to... I couldn't almost work out where I was bowling. The mechanics, I was losing a bit of coordination. And... I, I just said to AB, I think I have to go off the ground for a while. I think surely there's someone who can at least get the ball in the area. I mean, I couldn't think straight and um, dehydrated and, and, and lacking strength and all the rest. So I went off for a while and uh, um, I sort of said, I think AB needs me out there. And I think uh, <laughs> Dave Gilbert, who was 12th man, went out and asked AB. And he, I think it was along the lines of get that weak so-and-so out here as soon as you can. <laughs> so uh, when when AB sort of said that, you, uh, you got your marching shoes on and... Uh, I think I jumped under a shower and uh, threw a bit of ice over me and uh, and off we went on the ground and uh, the rest is history. But, uh, you know, AB, he was well known as Captain Grumpy for, for certain reasons, <laughs> but he did a fantastic job of, uh, of really hardening up uh, cricket during a time when we were sort of battling a little bit. We'd lost uh, a lot of the players to uh, the South African Rebel Tour and, of course, the three greats, uh, Marshall, Lee and Chapel, retired just a year or two earlier. So we're in the doldrums, but that probably uh, really got things going in the world of Australian cricket. You know, he won the World Cup next year in 87 and, of course, the Ashes in 89 and went on to bigger and bigger, uh, better and bigger things. So, um, you know, uh, a fantastic time in Australian cricket and, and, you know, we needed something like that tour to really... Um, really kick it along. Just a final thought before we let you go. Obviously, you and, and Mo Matthews were able to take a lot of wickets. I think you took 17 of the 20 between you and the match in that particular test. But Australian spinners, as a general rule, struggle in India. We know it's spinning conditions, but they play it so well. Uh, why do you feel it was that, I guess, you guys were able to have that impact? And, and do we have the stocks that might be able to go to India on this next tour and, and do some damage? 
Oh, yeah, look, oh, look I'd been, I'd done reasonably well in, uh, in Pakistan in the early 80s, so I sort of had a bit of experience over there, and I also went to Sri Lanka as a, a 16-year-old uh, schoolboy and, and also to, um, to uh, Sri Lanka again in 1981, so on the way to England. So I had a bit of, a, uh, a bit of experience over there, so that probably helped, and, and Mo Matthews being the competitor he is, it probably helped us a bit, and um, you know I don't know. I think um, I, I'm not. I'm sure we got the stocks here. You know Nathan Lyon. He he does very well at places like the Gabba where there's some bounce. But um, as good a record as he has, he just tends to struggle a bit in the subcontinent. Um, you know so, and of course even Warney um, with the lack of bounce over there in the subcontinent probably wasn't as successful as he was in England and also Australia. But the one thing we've got to realise is. The subcontinent players play spin bowling very well. So, you know, I'd like to see our bowlers bowl to our batters mm. and their spinners bowl to their batters and yeah. we might get a better idea of what level we're at. And I think that's something we don't quite understand, that, that, that their players, they're brought up on spin bowling from the time they're six, seven, eight years old when they, uh, of age when they start playing cricket. Uh, and, and our boys are brought up on good wickets, whether it be synthetic or turf wickets that are very good. The ball doesn't spin very true, so... But once the ball turns, as it does over in the subcontinent, as we've seen what happens to our batters in recent times, and of course, we've got another tour coming up in um, in February to uh, February March in India, and uh, we need to make sure we can play some uh, players who can play spin bowling. And, and there's none better at the moment than Peter Hanscom. He's really shown what he can do with some footwork. I know it'll be a bit tougher over there for him, but uh, I think uh, you know we'll see him like players like him really stand out against uh, some decent spinners. Ray, great to get your insights on a, a famous test match and hopefully we can speak to you again going forward. No worries at all. Thank Thanks, Frank. Ray Bright joining us. 1986 tied test match. We'll get to a break on stumps. Darren Parkin here with Tom Morris. Steve Smith has been dismissed for 63. Caught in the deep off Yassir Shah. Blazing away. Usman Khawaja just bringing up his half century, having been joined at the crease by Pete Hanscom. Australia's lead 422. Pitch and bang! Listening to Stumps. Knocks him over with pace, real pace. You're listening to Stumps. Welcome back to Stumps, Australia 3 for 154, Usman Khawaja 57, not out. Pete Hanscom with him at the crease, an odds update from Sportsbet uh, very, very shortly. But uh, what is it, 435 in front or thereabouts, Tom? Are you thinking, still angling towards a declaration this evening? Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt about that. They're playing that way for a reason. Uh, Khawaja's living dangerously. Hanscom's just come in, but even he's been positive. He's, of course, in ripping touch. But Steve Smith was playing it like a one-dayer, and the field spread. So I I think it's likely they'll declare, give themselves at least 30 overs at the Pakistanis tonight, rip into their top order and put them under the pump again. It is the Australian way. They love to... I mean, they could make... They could get... 700 ahead here if they really yeah. batted but they don't need to you know no one's ever chased this many runs at no. the Gabba not even close so they're just going to put the Pakistanis under the pump again and hopefully finish it in their case um, tomorrow sometime I think and, and really put them under the pump under the lights tonight So Khawaja starting to be the aggressor without yeah. Steve Smith there anymore and Hanscom 10 off 9 uh, we're joined by Nathan Brown from Sportsbet Sportsbet's racing form animated speed mats runner comments and expert tips courtesy of Best Bets it's great form made easy gamble responsibly Brownie nice to be talking to you G'day, boys. How are we all? It's going Good, thank on you. well, mate. So looking towards, uh, we're only a couple of days away from the Big Bash, uh, certainly ramping up uh, the interest there. 
Yeah, it certainly is. And uh, have a look at the outright market for a start. And Perth Scorchers are favourites. Obviously, it's a big advantage to play over in Perth, $5. Melbourne Renegades and Melbourne Stars, who have been pretty much really well backed over the years, but really haven't saluted at all. Five fifty, both of them. Sydney Thunder then, they won it last year. They're at 7 the one I like and the one I reckon to value is Brisbane Heat at $7. Now, they're not going to have any international players go and play for Australia or anybody else. They've got Brendan McCullum into the side. They've got Chris Lynn, who had the most runs last year. Um, and he won't have to play T20 until February. And then you've got Doolan, you've got Joe Burns, you've got Alex Ross. So their batting lineup for me, Brisbane, is absolutely outstanding. And I reckon they're the value bet at 7 bucks. And Daniel Vittori, of course, is their coach, so a real uh, Kiwi flavour about the Brisbane Heat. Nathan, can you tell us um, about the players of the Big Bash? If I'm, if I'm going to have a punt on the Big Bash and, and top run scorers and players of the tournament and things like this, who should I be looking at? Well, Chris Lynn's the, the favourite, without a doubt. He's $8, and he was the most run scorer last year. Then you've got Kevin Peterson second at $9. Brendan McCullum at $10, um, and I think Brendan McCullum's really good value. You've got Cameron White at 13 Klinger at 15. Sankakara, who didn't bat really that well last year when he played here, he was at 18. Uh, and then you got, there's a few Aussies in there, uh, like Sean Marsh at 21, Usman Kawaja at 21. Usman Kawaja averaged 174 in this competition last year, and he batted four times and nearly had the most runs. He was in unbelievable form. But I tell you what, I don't mind Chris Lynn or Brendan McCullum. I think at Brisbane, they're going to bat at the top of the order. They're going to get the most chances more than anybody to bat. So, yeah, either Brendan McCullum or Chris Lynn for me. And uh, any other, I guess, prime cricketing markets? I mean, at what stage do you envisage if we look towards, say, the Indian tour and, and things like that as, as we draw closer? Is that something where you guys would, would see how Australia performs all summer and then that's when it gets assessed? Yeah, we, uh, we obviously uh, don't have that far mm. out at the moment, but uh, I guess we'll be having a look at what happens in this test and then we'll be looking towards the Boxing Day test and uh, obviously Australia pretty much unbackable at the moment in these live games, so... Uh, it's going to be fantastic, and then we'll, we'll load up for the Boxing Day test, which is going to be amazing. We're looking forward to it. If you want to have a punt between now and then, all the Aussies, if you think Pakistan can have a massive comeback, make sure you gamble responsibly. No worries, Nathan. Just one last one from me. I saw before this test match at the Gabba that Pakistan, uh, I was surprised at how short they were. Mm. Were, were you a little bit shocked as well about how, how many bets were coming in for Pakistan, given how poorly they did in New Zealand? Yeah, I definitely was, and they uh, they got into about $5.50, mm. and they were super well-packed, I think just because they are the number one team in the world at the moment, but uh, certainly the Aussies, 28 years without having a loss at the at the Gabba, uh, all the money came from them, they ended up at $1.33. We did have a punter have 20 grand on the Aussies <laughs> just before the first ball at $1.34, and then we also had a punter just before the first ball have two and a half grand on cool. Pakistan at seven fifty. so... Uh, Look, that bet's still alive. It might get up for him, but I don't think so. <laughs> Unless Pakistan chases 6,000 or thereabouts. Uh, Brownie, thanks very much for uh, for joining us on the program. Have a good night, guys. Thanks. Nathan Brown there from Sportsbet. Check out Sportsbet's new racing form. It's great form made easy. Gamble responsibly as we tick towards uh, the news. Australia 3 for 163. Hanscom 15 not out. Kawaja 60 not out. And certainly a fair bit uh, going on there in terms of the aggression from the Australians. Uh, 450 uh, is the lead for Australia as it stands uh, right uh, at the moment. You wouldn't imagine they're going to need really any more than that, but it's a question of how long they want to keep Pakistan out there and demoralise them with uh, their batting at present. Uh, Reminder, A-League coverage coming up, so stay tuned for all of that.
Australia 3 for 163. Hanscom 15 not out. Kawaja 60 not out. And plenty more to come on stumps as we build towards uh, that particular Boxing Day test. But we're talking all things cricket. Darren Parkin here with Tom Morris from Fox Sports. And we'll have regular updates. Dave Hussey not all that far away. Ian Bell also from the Perth Scorchers. And Nathan Bracken talking all things fast bowling to join us as well. Coming up next. Stumps. Well, welcome to Stumps. Darren Parkin here with Tom Morris from Fox Sports uh, talking all things cricket. Australia in total command of the test match against Pakistan, electing not to enforce the follow-on but building the lead well beyond 450 as they look towards a late declaration on day three to give themselves a chance under lights of the pink ball to torment Pakistan as they did yesterday. Pakistan uh, bowling better in patches in this innings, but but again, a little bit of a lack of control and not a lot of support from those in the field. Uh, this hour, Ian Bell will join us from the Perth Scorchers, and of course, former England great, scored a heck of a lot of runs at test level. Nathan Bracken, one of Australia's finest ever limited overs bowlers and had a fair old test career, but uh, Tom, the big bash is on our doorstep, and mm-hmm. in a minute, we'll have a chat to Dave Hussey, but the Melbourne Stars have got to wait a little while. Boxing Day, I think they open their campaign. Yeah, it's an interesting one because, of course, they can't really play at home. Well, it's believed they can't play at home because the Boxing Day test. So uh, they start on December 26th and they've mm-hmm. got a big clump of games. They've got they've got a Melbourne derby on January 1, another one on January 7. So mm-hmm. I guess if they want con- continuity, they're going to get it because they can play a lot of games in a short period of time. But yeah, they don't start till December 26, which means the, the Big Bash will be going, what, for six days? I think it starts at December 20 mm-hmm. uh, before the Stars get involved. But they are going to have a strong team again. They've made no list changes, which is interesting. Jackson yeah. Coleman's come in for John Hastings. He's got injured. But I expect the Stars to be right up there again this year. And Dave Hussey joins us on the line. Always very generous with his time. Dave, thanks for joining us. Pleasure, boys. How are you going? Going along well, thanks. very well. How is it sort of shaping up? I mean, obviously, uh, you've spent a lot of years playing in semi-finals. You broke through and got to the big dance last year, only to be beaten by Sydney Thunder. But you're obviously edging closer. What's the feeling like around the group? Yeah, the feeling's always good around the uh, the Melbourne Stars group, which is fantastic. Uh, Steve Fleming and Trent Woodhill has created a great environment to, uh, to play in. And, uh, yeah, we're just sort of itching and raring to go. But just got to wait a little bit of time, you know, watch a few other teams play first and then, uh, yeah, wait until Boxing Day. After a disappointing loss in the final, Dave, last year, what, what do you change this year? Is it worth looking ahead that far or are you just simply trying to do the same stuff and hope you can get over the line when, when it matters most at the end? Yeah, it's probably more just doing exactly what we did last year but probably trying better in a few areas, uh, I guess, Tommy. But, um, yeah, if you look too far ahead, you, you generally start you're coming unstuck by uh, losing the odd game, uh, which you should sort of win. So the idea is just to win as many games as you possibly can, pile in the, in the rest of them, and then hopefully qualify for the finals and uh, yeah, hopefully have an enjoyable grand final again. And Huss, you are Victoria's batting coach, so you've been uh, throwing balls rather than receiving them most of the, this season. How have you prepared for the for the tournament, of course, because uh, because your own cricket, I guess, has had to take a back seat over the past couple of months? Yeah, um, it's a bit like that. But the last probably six weeks have been back in, um, back in, back in uh, training. I played a couple of weeks for Paran and um, and uh, yeah, had a trip to New Zealand and and um, been a trip to New Zealand and then we played a couple of games there and then uh, just played a couple of practice games uh, in Albury as well uh, against the Sydney Thunder, which was uh, also good fun. 
Looking last summer, obviously, we, we knew that the competition was growing, but playing the Renegades in front of upwards of 80,000 people would have been an enormous surprise, I'm, I'm sure. I mean, a pleasant surprise. You knew the crowds would be big, but uh, to, to generate that level of interest uh, would have perhaps even surprised you. Yeah, exactly that. Um, 80,000 people was an incredible uh, night. Uh, it was just a, the perfect storm, I guess. Great holiday time and uh, for families and yeah, 80,000. Hopefully we can uh, better that on uh, New Year's Day this year. And Again, another Stars win in the last over would be fantastic. Dave, I'm really interested in your wicket-keeping situation at the moment with Peter Hanscom at the moment actually playing test cricket, so he'll be unavailable presumably for the while the Boxing Day test and the Sydney tests are on. You've got Tom Triffett and Sam Harper on your list. Can you give us a little insight into who's got the front running for that spot at this stage? Yeah, probably Sam Harper at the moment, Tommy. Um, he, he's played a couple of games for Victoria and done very, very well. Uh, and, yeah, he's, he's scored runs as well, so... He's probably got the front running at the moment, but you never know who, what happens. Uh, Tom Trevor might play as a batter. Uh, there's all sort of uh, all permutations actually to come. We've got a couple more practice games to work out a few uh, few uh, good game plans, and yeah, Tom Trevor definitely fits into those categories as well. Looking at uh, obviously the English influx you've had with Wright and, and Peterson, such important players for you. Tom mentioned the, the unchanged nature of the, the lineup, and look, Kevin Peterson has been tremendous for the, the competition. And I think for Australian cricket fans, they've probably grown to have a greater appreciation for him, even as a person or someone who understands the game when he's mic'd up throughout the coverage and, and things like that. So, uh, in terms of playing with him, uh, did you sort of get a different impression of, of Kevin Peterson, the person? Uh, yeah, pretty much. Uh, I was fortunate enough to play with him at Nottinghamshire back in 2004, and mm. he's definitely changed and matured over the over the journey. And uh, him probably playing last year compared to the uh, the year before for the Melbourne Stars, even he's changed again. And he's so giving with his time and uh, education with uh, with some of the younger boys throughout the team and on certain situations and, and how to play. And uh, I, I guess just having another cool, harm, calm uh, head around the group definitely is, uh, is, is definitely warranted and needed as well. T20 cricket's always evolving, Haas. We've seen that over the last five or six years. The, the boundaries are being hit more often and there's, and there's more runs being made than ever. But what do you expect from this BBL? Do you expect it to be another run fest or do you think the bowlers might have a little bit more luck than they have in previous years? Well, I reckon the bowlers might have a bit more success, actually. They're... Um, they're executing their skills really well at the moment, uh, and I think the wickets might actually favour the home team a little bit more rather than the, the batter-friendly wickets that we normally uh, that we normally see in the big bash. So yeah, I reckon the bowlers might actually um, have one over the batters this year. So. Domestically, domestically, do you feel that that's something? I mean, if you look at the overall Australian context of the summer with Shield cricket and limited overs cricket and, and Big Bash cricket as well, that uh, that more needs to be done in regards to. I mean, uh, Dan Christian, who's played a lot of cricket for Victoria, felt that it's an experimental sort of setup that doesn't allow for the development uh, so much of uh, of first class players into international players. Do you think the fixture or more can be done around the fixture to help generate Australian cricketers? Well, it's a tough one, really, um, because there's so much cricket played uh, domestically and internationally. So whoever works out the fixtures, um, they'll probably do a remarkable, remarkably good job. But, um, yeah, Dan Christian's a prime example. He's playing good domestic cricket and probably could play uh, international cricket the way he's been going. But, um, yeah, it's a, a real tough one to, uh, to actually answer because fixturing's a bloody tough job. You had Michael Beer opening the bowling for you last year for much of the carnival or much of the tournament. Are you expecting this is going to happen again? And if so, what is the thinking behind it? Is it simply about just limiting the damage in the first six overs while the while you can only have two men out? Well, yeah, it's, a, it's another tough question to answer because generally Michael opens the bowling uh, against players who sort of struggle against the, the spin. When I say struggle, they have sort of lower strike rates against the spin rather than the, uh, the quicker bowler. So it's probably more of a tactic to... Uh, to play um, more of a, a match set up, I guess, or, or 
uh, man-to-man um, player against player four. Um, and yeah, this year will probably be no different. Michael Beers, uh, his stats are unbelievable, uh, up the top of the list, and he generally takes wickets and he goes for low runs per over. So we'll definitely look at that and. Um, yeah, I think Michael will probably be one of the uh, the premier opening bowlers uh, throughout the competition. <laughs> You'd love to hear that, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, you being a Saints fan, yeah. Definitely. Do you have a theory on, um, I guess, players that or teams rather that you, that you think the biggest challenge is going to come from? Obviously, the, the Thunder winning the title last year. We just heard from Nathan Brown earlier with an odd segment discussing Brisbane's batting uh, depth. But uh, where do you think the the major competition might come? Yeah, it's a, another tough question because anyone can beat anybody on their day. Um, for, for example, last year the Hobart Hurricanes lost uh, two games in, off the last ball of the uh, the game, and if they had won those two games, they'd probably qualified for a home semi final. So it's a tough one to answer. But I actually envisage the uh, the Brisbane Heat to be the the big performers uh, yeah. or big improvers this year. They got Alex Ross in the middle order, which is a great pickup as well. And I think Chris Lynn will be back to his firing best. So haven't missed out probably the half the domestic season thus far, but. Yeah, I think the Brisbane Heat and the Melbourne Renegades would be the uh, the two big performers this year. Yeah, and obviously um, with Brendan McCullum back and the, the New Zealand influx that they've got. But Dave, it's always great to catch up with you, the Melbourne Stars. Obviously very popular and, and looking to, to claim that elusive title they've been very close to achieving over the other history of this competition. We wish you well. Much appreciated, boys. Yeah, stick with the stars. <laughs> Thanks, Dave. Dave Hussey there as well. And uh, both Melbourne sides, uh, you think, are going to be in and around the mark. wanted to touch on, before we take a break, on Pete Hanscom, a guy mm. you've had a, a fair bit to do with. We've spoken a little bit about him, obviously, at length, but uh, coming up through the ranks. So you tell yeah. us a little bit about, uh, I guess, your experiences with uh, with Pete along the journey. Yeah, well, I'm just, I guess, one of hundreds of players that have been yeah. lucky enough to, to play with Pete at, at junior mm. and senior level. But uh, he's, he's what you see is what you mm. get with Pete. He's, he's very relaxed and measured, but he's got this inner confidence confidence that you can't manufacture. He, he plays the game his way, as you can see with his technique and the way he likes to bat. But he's uh, he's had to do it, not the hard way, but he's not necessar- he wasn't necessarily a prodigy, as Usman Khawaja gets out, caught at mid-on. But mm-hmm. um, he was a talented junior, um, and but he's had to work extremely hard at his game to get there. And he, he sort of fluctuated between batting at the top of the order, batting in the middle order, keeping, not keeping. But what he is, he's extremely measured, uh, composed, he's very coachable. Uh, and that means he gives himself the best chance to perform. I'm stoked from a personal perspective that he's doing it at test level and I think Australians and Victorians really enjoy him watching him bat as well because it just proves it's yeah. not a one-size-fits-all approach and he's always done it his way but he's always willing to listen and take on bits of coaching from other people. He's listened to Greg Shippard and Chris Rogers and Trent Woodhill. There's a number mm-hmm. of people that have influenced on him but at the end of the day it'll always be him deciding how he wants to bat and it's working at the moment. It's great to see. I always find it funny when Steve Smith, another one with I guess, a unique technique mm-hmm. where they, when they're in good form, people look at them and say, oh, you know, the technique's so hard to bowl to, it's so uh, unpredictable. Mm. But then when they struggle a couple of times, it's like, oh, there's an issue with that mm. technique. So it, I think people can be quite fickle in that regard. Yeah, so, and it can go the yeah. other way as well. You look at Usman Khawaja's dismissal yeah. in the first innings, caught at mid-wicket, because he looks so gracious and, and beautiful mm. watching him back. When he gets out like that, lazy. people yeah. call it lazy and soft. Yeah. So I think there's a little bit too much made of how people get out and not the fact that they're actually out or in. So mm. if Peter's making runs and Smith and Khawaja making runs, well, that's great, and sometimes they get out with a loose shot. That's that's what happens in cricket. But um, you're right. Hanson got bowled Abbott for, by Abbott for fifty in Adelaide, and people say, "Oh, that's his te- technical flaw." Well, sometimes the ball just decks back in, and you miss it. You yeah, know, that's right. That can happen to anyone, really. So sometimes it's a bit too ma- much made of that. But what 
is important is that the batsman plays the ball under their eyes and that they understand their own game plan. And Smith and, and Hans can have that in abundance. And Renshaw, I mean, the amount of times he's played and missed it, but there's something in the technique which limits his capacity to nick the ball. He plays yeah. obviously very close to the body, and it looks awkward, but it's uh, it is effective. And yeah, it's it's a good point on uh, on Hanscom in that regard. Testing time for Nick Maddinson, who comes to the crease now. So Australia in total control, but uh, he's got obviously a task to score quick runs. He's almost on a hiding to nothing. Mm-hmm. He's got to play his shots. If he goes out playing his shots, he'll probably cop a bit. And if he's not out 15, 20, people will be like, oh, well, it's, it's easy mm-hmm. runs at a, at a difficult time. So Hanscom's on 26. Kawaja was dismissed for 74. So we see Maddinson facing his first ball and chases a wide one and misses it as it died on its trajectory through to the keeper from Rahat at about 128 Ks. <laughs> so he's taken two for 37. But uh, look, Maddinson's got to play like that. Might be, might be best for him yeah. to play this aggressive way. And yeah, he's on a hiding to nothing in mm. many respects because even 39 out might not it might not mm. save him. But you'd imagine the way he does play is that aggressive attacking batsman and this is the perfect opportunity for him. It's not dark. The ball's not new. Um, the Pakistan bowlers are tired and weary. He's batting with Peter Hanskin at the other end who's in ripping form. So there's no better opportunity really to get himself some form and confidence more importantly. Yeah, so he'll uh, he comes to the crease now. We'll see how it does unfold. We'll get to a break. Nathan Bracken to join us after this. Talk about Australia's fast bowling stocks. Obviously Chad Sayers is white hot but couldn't quite get a, uh, a, a gig in this lineup. Australia opting to go unchanged and, and that has proven to be effective as they head towards a dominant victory but he's in as good a form as, as anyone really has ever been in, you'd think, in, in domestic cricket, so he'd have to be close. So. Yeah, and Darren Berry's talking yeah. about him a lot on SEN mm. as well because Chad Sayers' record is unbelievable, averaging 22 with a ball, you know, 190-odd wickets at, at first-class level. He's a pink ball specialist, but he's also a red ball specialist. Mm. You don't take that many wickets not being able to bowl with a red ball. So he's unlucky not to play here, but I guess he's a, he's a victim of the fact that the Australian team won in Adelaide. He's going to play a role over the next few years. I can really see him playing a big role if mm. he's still around in England. Yeah. Um, when we next tour there, which is still eighteen months away, but if he go, if he goes there, or if he, if he goes there, I can see him doing really well because he is in that James Anderson mould. He's not overly quick, yeah. but he can swing the ball. He's accurate, and he's also quite an aggressive sort of bowler. He gets in the bat in the batsman's face, which is why Darren Berry loved him and why a lot of batsmen fight it hard to face him. As you see, an example again of good and bad. Fortune as Pete Hanscom uh, edges one through the vacant slips Corden for four and a very interesting shot. He's 32 not out to Maddinson, uh, none off one to this point. Mm. But yeah, the slower bowlers are moving around, certainly more effective in, in English conditions and mm. those guys that bowl with raw pace as a general rule. So certainly Mitchell Johnson was one who struggled a bit mm. in the UK. Well, I think the Australian selectors and there's mm. been sort of a push from the top from the national mm. identification uh, system to pick bowlers who are tall, who swing it and who are quick. And if they don't tick all three of those boxes, they don't really look at them. But sometimes you you can have bowlers that necessarily aren't tall, aren't quick, but are still very effective in certain conditions, and Chad Sayers fits into that into that category. We do have to get to a break. We'll have a chat to Nathan Bracken about all of that after this. Australia 4 for 194, leading by 481. Full pitch and bang! Bang, bang, bang! It's gone! You're listening to Stumps. Listening to Stumps. Welcome back to Stumps and interesting developments in the break. Uh, Tom Morris is with me, Darren Parkin, and we know that uh, 
Poor old uh, Nick Maddinson had to come out and bat aggressively. He did. He played a, an interesting sort of slog hook down the ground for four with the second ball that he faced. Uh, went for Obviously went to the boundary, but then with the third ball that he faced, he was out caught at uh, fine leg, uh, basically top-edging a hook shot that uh, nearly went for six, didn't quite carry. So, uh, unfortunately, he's dismissed for four. Maddinson out, caught mm. a fine leg. Yeah, it, it, I mean, it is unlucky for him, but, I mean, if you make runs in the previous innings and you make runs in Adelaide, then probably don't focus as much on this. He's made four runs. Um, he made one in the first innings. He made a duck in Adelaide. So that's what's that? Five runs and three knocks. Uh, he, he's really on the edge, especially if it's Marsh is available. Sort of Rob Quiney-like, um, where Quiney yeah. had that series against South Africa. Admittedly, Quiney was a bit older, so yeah. probably had less on his side than, than Bracken did to, to that point. But uh, Sorry, than um, Maddinson did to that point. But yeah, you, you do wonder, even in a winning side, uh, I mean, I hope they don't hang him on this third innings because he had to bat that way. Yeah, I agree. But I mean, that dismissal was very mm. much like Quiney on debut at the Gabba yeah. as well, caught at fine leg. Yeah. So, I mean, you're, when he you, made that, I think it was nine, the spectacular nine, as they described a it. A brilliant so. nine. Yeah. If you are. Uh, if you get caught at fine leg, you've top-edged the ball, obviously, so you've made an error. Mm. Um, but really, that can easily fly over the fine leg boundary. Uh, they bu- Wahab bumped him, and mm. Wahab's quick at the moment, but he's not bowling absolutely no. expressed, nor for 47 or his, were his figures before then. So um, you'd, you'd expect that Madison would be disappointed in that. If he got a little 20 or 30 not out here, I think... I'm not sure he would have played on Boxing Day, but it would have given him some, at least some confidence that, yeah, I can do it at this level. So it's unfortunate for him. Hoping to track down uh, Nathan Bracken shortly. We'll have Ian Bell on the program in 10 minutes or so. The former England star played in probably five Ashes series, four or five yeah. Ashes series maybe. Certainly 05, 06, 07, 09. Yeah, he would have played in five at yeah. least. So. Well, he was the last surviving member from the 05 yeah. Ashes series. and he, he just Won three of them, yeah. Yeah, so he's, he's a successful international player mm. and I think he still harbours ambitions to get back there. Yeah. Whether, whether he will or not remains to be seen but he's a great get for, for the Perth Scorchers. It'll be very interesting to see Bell playing with Johnson, mm-hmm. given how many, how many times they've played against each other. I'm sure we'll ask him about that as well. Hanscom has uh, just carved one through the offside to the sweeper on the boundary, which brings up Australia's 200. He's 34, not out. Australia 5 for 200, which is a lead of 487. Testing little period for Matthew Wade, mm-hmm. too, who obviously replaced Neville. Neville goes back to shield level and makes 179. And Neville considered... Pretty solid option for India, given his uh, probably superior keeping. So Wade's going to need to make some runs. So. Yeah, and it's probably was overlooked in the yeah. in the wash up from yesterday's play that Wade had a pretty ordinary day. He didn't yeah, make he any did. runs, and then he, he missed, missed the yeah. stumping. So the fact that he didn't have a good day yesterday means he'll be out to do something today to. Uh, Keep Neville at bay. I don't think they're mm. going to bring Neville back for Boxing Day, but certainly if Wade no. struggles here uh, in in Melbourne and in Sydney, then they'll have to seriously consider Neville if he's making runs for the India Tour again. It's not you don't want to be um, switching your keepers all the time mm. like this, but you need a keeper that's taking all, your, all the chances and at least making some runs. And at the moment, Wade and Neville they're sort of neck and neck but mainly because neither of them are doing a lot with a bat, which is a shame. The Sydney test will be interesting given the spinning nature of the deck going back to almost the olden days of the SCG. Uh, one of New South Wales' finest in Nathan Bracken joins us, former Australian great in the fast bowling realms, and just have a bit of a chat about uh, the makeup of the other uh, quicks department. Nathan, thanks for your time. Good afternoon, how are we? Going along very well. Uh, did it surprise you, I guess, retrospectively, that, that Sayers, given how hot his form had been domestically, didn't play in this test, although Jackson Bird has obviously gone on the bowl quite well? I thought he would have played in Adelaide, to be honest. Yeah. Mm. Um, I think bringing him in and the conditions and pink tests, everybody talks about how much the ball moves around in the air and, and being able to swing the ball. And obviously, a player who's shown it right through, why isn't he getting the opportunity? And that's... It goes against everything where they talk horses for courses, all these things. It's a swinging ball that's caused trouble, and that's why not pick somebody who's 
who's done that right through at shield level. Do you think Chad Sayers is a sort of bowler who could succeed in India then? Do you think he's got those skills or do you think he's more tailor-made for pink ball or, or overcast and humid conditions in, say, England or Australia? Well, the thing is, he's done it, he's done it in first-class cricket, whether it's first innings or second innings. So he's been a consistent performer now and, and he's putting performances back-to-back. It's, it's coming down to how he prepares and, and if he does go to India, then I guess it comes down to, to having a look at the conditions and how quickly they can assess it. And it's a... It's a, it's a success of any fast bowler when he's away from home. You've got to pick up what you need to do as quickly as possible. Otherwise, it gets too far away and gets too hard to pull it back. Nathan, do you think philosophically and fundamentally your beliefs that um, that pace is overrated? Do you think the Australian selectors look at pace and bounce and height too much and don't look at the statistics and, and how they've been actually playing? Yeah, I, th- I think you've got to look basically at, at what the player can give. And that's it's plain and simple. It doesn't matter... If you're if you're at five foot five and bowl at 160k an hour, tell me who's going to be easier, somebody like that or a Glenn McGrath? Mm-hmm. And you look at it, you look at a lot of players that have been extremely successful. It's it's not all about how fast they bowl. You look at somebody like Glenn McGrath, who whose pace ranged, and yeah, he was he did have spells where he's very very quick, and then other spells where he was just he wasn't as quick as he was, but he was just hard to handle. And that's that's the biggest thing you got to look at. You got to look at players. And especially fast bowlers, they're going to test the opposition. Yeah, and, and look, it's it's horses for courses in, in so many ways in, in, in that regard. Uh, on the, the stocks coming through and, and what we saw with uh, with Joe Many in that test match down in, in Hobart, I mean, there seems to have been a little bit of this lately where players, be it batsmen or bowlers, have been given an opportunity, not not a sustained opportunity, but an opportunity. And it's like, we've had a look at you, we've made up our mind, and, and that's it. Is, it. is it sort of that way? Do you see the door closing sometimes very quickly on players? Oh, for sure. Yeah. And the thing is, you... You look at res- and the big thing is they look at results, mm. and it's a result of the game, not an individual. Yeah. And yeah. I know it's a it's a team result, but you've got to look at how the individual went and whether he's better in the first or second innings, and and how it improved and and what he gave to the team instead of going, oh well, we lost, we need to make changes. Yeah. Did he do his job? Okay, he did his job. Didn't get wickets as many as we want. Did he look like he was? Yeah, he created. Up. Okay, we'll give him another chance. And maybe then it you make those harder calls on on your mid-range players that have played 15 to 20, 30 tests that have been in that position that just aren't, aren't performing. And we've seen we've seen players, and I know when I was running around playing, we saw players run, batters run, 18 months to two years without scoring 100. Mm. But they continue to have their spot, whereas other blokes that come in and out of the squad, they get a 50 and, oh, no, you didn't go on with it, see you later. Mm. And other players are staying. It's the same with bowlers. So it's, I guess it is a, a little bit they make up their mind what they want. The player doesn't look like he's going to give it. See you later. We'll go back to something else. Do you think the captain should be on the selection committee? Or do you think they should be slightly separate to that? I think he needs to be mm. because he's he's basically he's the one running the team out there, isn't he? Mm. And you can't all of a sudden set up a team from selectors' point of view. And, and we've seen right through in many in many many sports where a coach's opinion or a selector's opinion differs to what the captain's opinion is, and we see players picked and. And you hear all the all the talk going into a test match. Oh, yeah, he's picked to take the new ball. Oh, suddenly ball's first change. Mm. So we see that, and it needs to be coherent. He needs to be involved. Nathan, you're a left armer yourself, obviously, and Pakistan are playing three left arm quicks in this test. I'm not sure if you caught Shane Watt, uh, Shane Warne's comments yesterday, having a crack at the Pakistan selection for playing three left arm quicks. So what he would suggest is no variety in the attack. What, what do you make of that? Do you think it's uh, relevant, or do you think it's a little bit uh, <laughs> a little bit warny, just uh, being warny? 
but don't we haven't we didn't we go through a stage where we had Lee McGrath Gillespie? Yeah. <laughs> and the, like I know I know you're talking to but you pick what you got. And that's it. It doesn't matter if they're right or left arm. You pick what you got and they got the variety, they got a right arm spinner. Hmm. So hmm. there you go, like they're they're and yeah, you and you look even when you look at the left armors, they're different. They're not all the same. And that gives you that, that variety you need and and yeah, ideally you'd probably love a right armor in there, but if there's nobody good enough, you don't just pick somebody for the sake of picking them to, to have somebody who bowls right arm. Nathan, always good to get your thoughts. We appreciate you joining us on Stumps. No worries, guys. Thanks, Nathan. Care. Nathan Bracken joining us there, former Australian fast bowler. And yeah, I'd be curious to get the thoughts if we had a little bit more time, perhaps on the mistakes maybe the touring teams seem to consistently make at the Gabba, because of all the venues in Australia, uh, Australia haven't lost there since 1988. So it's remarkable that, that the hold they have over that. We're at the dinner break with Australia 5 for 202. So this is the extended break, and the lead is 489. So I wonder if Australia declares during this little period, although you'd think they'd go out and, and sort of push beyond 500 psychologically. You're listening to Stumps. Ian Bell to join us next from the Perth Scorchers and, of course, former England superstar and hoping to be current England superstar in the near future. Darren Parkin here with Tom. Morris for Stumps. Knocks him over with pace, real pace. And that is huge. That's the biggest one tonight. On the roof. Full pitch and bang. Bang, bang, bang. It's gone. Welcome to Stumps. You're listening to Stumps on 11.16 SEN, Melbourne's home of sport. A reminder of the A-League coverage coming up uh, a little bit later on with the Melbourne Derby, which should be an absolute cracker. That kicking off uh, from 7 o'clock, so stay tuned for that one. Of course, uh, plenty of talking points out of both meetings between Melbourne City and Melbourne Victory this season. One in the FFA Cup and then obviously that one earlier in the year where City crunched Victory 4-1 and Tim Cale scored that blinder to open his account with Melbourne City. But we're talking cricket, hoping to speak in a moment with Ian Bell, the former uh, England superstar who still harbours ambitions, you would think, of, of playing for the national team given their battles in in India currently, not that they're the first team to, to suffer that plight. Uh, what have you made of, of that series? Because it's relevant for Australia because we go to India next and I think they've got Bangladesh before that. I was just calculating it. I think that means India plays 12 tests in a home summer. Which is quite unbelievable, but they've certainly got the market mm. to do so with billions of people living in their country. Yeah. I, I was amazed, and I'm not alone in this opinion, that mm-hmm. Alistair Cook didn't push harder for the win in the first test. Yeah, agreed. I know there was a lot of people that said, oh, well, you know, they had 60 overs to bowl them out, and, you know, you don't want to lose a first test in a five-match series. But my take is that if you have a chance to beat India in India oh, yeah, in the first it. test, you, you've got to have a proper crack. Even if you risk defeat, yeah. Exactly. And, well, that's the attitude. So what's happened since then is India have – I think England have actually played okay, yeah. but India have lost. Have, have been too good for them. Coley's been too good. Ashwin's been too good. Um, even their tail's been making some runs. And England have, have lost the next three test matches. But really, they should have won that first test, put India on the back foot, and then who knows what happens from there. Instead, they drew it. You start start clean in the second test, and, uh, and India have been too good for them. I think England, it's real worry for mm. Australia that England have played, I think, quite good cricket. They've they had blokes who've made runs. They've yeah. bowled quite well, uh, even though Jimmy Anderson's been in and out, Stuart Broad's been in and out. But they've been if you look at the stats, quite off the pace. So I think Australia, it's going to be a daunting tour for Australia. Four test matches in India, they'll produce spinning decks. Cole is in unbelievable form. Their bowls are too good and they love facing spin. So it's going to be a really, really tough tour for the Australians. Yeah, I think it's added a new dimension to them that Ashwin's been able to bat at six in that lineup. But uh, to have his, I know the test centuries he's made have come against the West Indies, but to have his ability to, to bat in the middle order and, and control things there allows him to sometimes pick three spinners. Yeah, and uh, they do. So, yeah. And they do that. And the fact that 
that he bats in the middle order makes him probably the best all-rounder mm-hmm. in, the, in the world at the moment. Mm-hmm. He's really progressed from being a number eight batsman, mm-hmm. pushing up the order to number six. Um, he can bat anywhere, really. And Moen Ali is doing a similar job for England. Let's not forget mm-hmm. that. He's off spinners. He batted at eight. He's opened the batting in the past, which didn't quite work on a tour last year. Now he's batting at number four, and he's solidified that spot at number four, and he actually looks good at number four. So, mm-hmm. as I said, England are playing some reasonable cricket, but yeah. uh, they're just not getting the job done. And the first test match, I think, was a pivot point in that. Had they won that, then who knows what could happen next. Yeah, absolutely. You've got to get off to a good start. Ian Bell will be hoping to do that with the Perth Scorchers, a man who's played a heck of a lot of cricket. As we said, five Ashes series for England, three of them victories. And now here for the Big Bash, Ian, thanks for your time. How are you, mate? You all right? Going along very well. Uh, how are you sort of gearing up for it? Uh, the Perth Scorchers, obviously uh, a very successful team in this, uh, in this competition over the journey, having won the title a couple of times. So a uh, nice environment to be in. Yeah, really good environment to be in. Uh, obviously, it's good to work with Justin Langer as well. So you've got a lot of respect for him and um, you know, a good young side. So obviously, from what I've seen about this, uh, the big bash in this tournament is great. Obviously, you know, back home over Christmas, everyone's watching it when they wake up in the mornings, and um, you know, can't wait to see it firsthand and get involved. Ian, Tom Morris here. How have you enjoyed sharing a, a dressing room with Mitch Johnson after so many battles over the years? <laughs> it's certainly not. It's certainly a bit different. Yeah, it's <laughs> nice. Um, it was actually quite ironic. The first game we had was little the, against the Legends Eleven, and I actually opened the batting against him. So I didn't expect that on this tour. But um, yeah, it, it's good. It's obviously you know you play a lot of Ashes cricket. It's uh, it's massive for both both teams and both countries. But um, you know you have a lot of things in common, and it's been great to, to actually share a dressing room so far with some guys. You know, Sean Mars, Mitch Mars as well that I've played against, and. Um, yeah, having a really good time so far. I know you've, I think, made some runs at, at the Wacker, but as a general rule, even when England were playing well in Australia, the Wacker wasn't, the, I guess, the most pleasant of, of venues. Uh, what are, I guess, your memories of, of playing there? Yeah, exactly like you said. I mean, to be honest, our test matches didn't normally go five days there, so it's, uh, <laughs> it's not great, uh, not a great hunting ground for England. But um, I've enjoyed batting there. It is quite unique, I suppose, around the world, you know, the bounce you get. Um, so I'm looking forward to challenging myself with that. But... Um, no, we've had a couple of middle practice already at the, at the Wacker and they've gone quite well. So uh, fingers crossed, you know, I'll be in some good touch and I can help contribute to us uh, having a good competition. Ian, where are you at with your cricket at the moment? Obviously, you're a very valuable player around the world if a number of T20 franchises want your services. But do you still harbour ambitions to make it back into the England team, especially for uh, next year's Tour Down Under, another Ashes series in Australia? Does that sort of float your boat? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, I've had a little bit of time away now. I think it's been 12 months since my last Test match and I think at the, at the end of last Ashes, uh, you know, at home, I was in that point where I was probably at the back end of that World Cup and the Ashes and mentally and physically quite drained, didn't quite know what I wanted to do. Um, and then I saw the boys go off to South Africa and, and watched it from home and, and realised, you know what, I, I'm not finished with that yet and I'm desperate to get back involved. So, look, it's great to be, I think, involved in this and I won't be thinking about England at all. It's just getting involved and helping the Perth Scorchers. But there's no doubt um, I'd love to be on the on the plane next year um, involved in one more Ashes series. Just on that, um, obviously, in terms of feedback, we often have that conversation here in Australia as to how much players hear from selectors when they're sort of out of the front, out of the the fold. Uh, what's that like in in England? Do you have regular correspondents sort of saying, you know, this is what we need you to do at domestic level. This is how close we think you are. Yeah, we do. I mean, we had um, just before the guys went off to India, we all had medical uh, or fitness assessments, which I was involved in. Had chats with uh, with Trevor Bayliss and obviously the selectors and. As far as from when I left that room, you know, I'm always going to be considered. That's what they sort of left with me, that um, the door isn't shut. And um, from both parties, if I decide to, that I don't want to anymore or, or they, they're going to move on, I think we'll have that honest conversation. But as far as where I am now or, or how I understand it is the door's open and um, there's still maybe one or two slots available in that 
in that test side. And if I can start the season well and maybe have a good big bash, um, you know, I'll keep pushing myself um, to get back in that testing, which would be uh, be good. I'd like to add to my uh, 118 test matches. It would be nice. That'd be very nice, of course. You've uh, made a lot of runs against Australia over the years, so I guess from an Australian perspective, it wouldn't be ideal if you were there. But <laughs> tell us about the, the big bash and, and your hopes and ambitions for it. Are you likely to be batting right at the top of the order? And, and what, what are you sort of uh, aiming to achieve from an individual perspective? Look, I think from my perspective, I want to come here and win with the Perth Scorchers. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the, first, that's the most important thing. The individual stuff's great, but I'd like to contribute to us winning. Uh, that's no doubt. That'll be something to go home with. Having been involved in this tournament would be, would be amazing. Um, Look, I want to come out and, and win games of cricket for the Perth Scorchers. Um, if that's at the top of the order, I don't know whether that's going to be opening or free at the minute. But, I mean, again, I mean, the amazing thing, actually, even speaking to Justin Langer, uh, how we're going to pick 11 out of the squad we've got is going to be really hard. And there's going to be some, there's going to be some angry guys or disappointed guys, should I say, that aren't going to be in that 11. So it's great to be in a squad like that. And competition for places is good. But, um, look, I, I just want to get out there and get us off to a good start if I can. And... Um, and give everything I can in the field, dive around, and like I said, hopefully we can win some games. You obviously have always been very sharp in the field. As a final one, have you heard mate? You spoke about obviously the unique nature of the ground, but the atmosphere. Obviously, call it the you know the furnace over there, and the the enormous yeah. crowd support that they do have, and that's the same with all sports really in in Western Australia. But it creates a really good cauldron when they when they play those home games. Yeah, it's brilliant. We had a fan day yesterday. Like I said, I've seen nothing like this at home. You know, I mean, yeah. this really is quite unique. This tournament, everything. Um, you know, just being around Perth at the minute, it's really, you know, people can't wait for next Friday. So um, and I'm sure that's the same all around the country. It's, it's a real special tournament. And like I said, I'm really happy to be here involved in this and um, looking forward to, like I said, first game at the Furnace will be, be great. Like I said, I've seen it on TV. It looks uh, it looks an amazing support, so I uh, can't wait to get out there. Well, Ian, you've been a tremendous player all around the world, had a wonderful career with England, and we do hope that that continues for, for you as well, and we really look forward to watching you with the uh, with the Perth Scorchers. Good luck for the uh, for the Big Bash campaign. Cheers, guys. Thanks very much. Thanks, Ian. And it's a real credit, obviously, to the competition. You're getting superstars mm. like that uh, all the way through uh, the deck. So we're going to hear from Ray Bright uh, after this break, who uh, we had a bit of a chat to about the 1986 uh, tied test match against India. You're listening to Stumps. Uh, plenty more to come at 11.16 SEN A-League coming up after that. G'day, Mike Hussey here. Get on board Australia's best fantasy cricket game, KFC Supercoach BBL. It's fun, free and easy to play. Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005.